Hey everyone, it's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. This is. Uh, How much are you looking for? Oh dear to God! Be able to mentally unplug. That's great. Uh, it's 7 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> We're off to a great start already. Sorry, I had a, a thing on my uh, desktop. Um, it's episode 14 of Versus Media Live. I am Stephen O. Miller. Yay! Um, probably you can guess as much as I don't like doing back-to-back topics. Um, there's been a little bit of time. I didn't do a call in last week because I was. Uh, I was in safe Ferris, deathly ill mode, and I'm still kind of fighting off a nagging cough. Um, so we'll probably go for uh, about an hour, a little over so. As uh, speaking of things happening, I'm sure some of you want to run off and go watch your NFL slave auction draft. Um, so we'll kind of go for about an hour. I want to talk about, obviously, Elon Musk buying Twitter. And the reactions in corporate media to Elon Musk buying Twitter have been more revealing than just about anything that I've ever seen. I don't want to repeat too much stuff from last time when I, you know, with the last episode was about the possibility of Musk buying Twitter. Um, But now we've seen kind of the fallout of this. And one news organization in particular seems to be waging a kind of coordinated vendetta against this, and that's the Washington Post, and that's actually Jeff Bezos' Washington Post. And I'm just going to run down a few of uh, what we've seen from the Washington Post. I saw someone on Twitter ask, has the Washington Post written one good thing about Elon Musk buying Twitter? And not, not that you know they have to, but as far as balance is concerned, do they have anyone in their opinion column saying, hey, you know, this might not be the end of the world. Here's here's why this could be good. Here's why, you know, uh, this is a win for free speech. We haven't seen that from any of these outlets. So I'm going to run down a few of these headlines. And this is just over the last three days. Elon Musk as owner is a long feared reality for Twitter employees. That comes from... Um, Elizabeth Dwoskin, who was also the one who wrote that he is bullying Twitter executives, uh, particular Vijaya Gadad, who uh, was the Twitter board lawyer responsible for the Twitter and safety stuff and blocking the New York Post story and banning Trump. I think she had the final call on that as much as they all say Dorsey did. Um, uh, 28 minutes ago, how the Elon Musk meal might fall apart. Um, Elon Musk's vision for free speech will be bad for Twitter. Elon Musk elevated criticism of Twitter executives. These are all exe- prompting online attacks. That is also D- uh, Dwoskin and two other uh, employees on that. And so uh, af- headline after headline from the Washington Post in particular, what Elon Musk's polarization graph gets wrong, um, what Jack Dorsey gets wrong about Elon Musk and Twitter. <laughs> you can just go down the line. This is just this is the blanket coverage. Uh, Elon Musk to address Twitter staff after internal outcry. Um, how Musk could burst Obama's disinformation bubble. <laughs> Elon Musk's free speech Twitter agenda uh, takeover part of uh, creates boardroom headache. Just on and on and on. And this wouldn't be so much noteworthy because that's who the Washington Post is, except Jeff Bezos called this you know, called Elon Musk basically a tool of China and Russia a few days ago on Twitter. So you would you'd be, you know, remiss if I did mention that this looked coordinated to me. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they called all the Washington Post employees in and went, no, this is what? No, because, but they don't have to. They, they have all the right think style people. The whole newsroom is a bunch of Taylor Lorenzes now. 
And so what this is pretty much revealed in the reaction that we've all seen on Twitter is that we we all know that journalists and corporate outlets are, are, are about gatekeeping. It's about we give you the information and you shut up and take it. Well, hold on. There's something wrong with this information. It's either biased or it's wrong. You're misleading. You're leading off facts. No, we're going to feed it to you and you're going to shut up. And Musk has basically peeled back all of that to reveal that these people pretty much are the face of online censorship. Uh, we saw Ben Collins from NBC, and we saw uh, writers from The New Yorker. We saw Kevin Roos from The New York Times suggest that Twitter is going to become 8chan. And one of the points I want to make today before I let you guys jump in and give me your own thoughts is I don't think that that's a bad thing. Now, 8chan and 4chan can be a cesspool of just like weird anime porn and Nazis and all of that, and that's what I get. That's not what I'm suggesting. If Twitter is de-emphasized as the heartbeat of the news, the most important thing happening where it, it runs our newsrooms, like we, we see tweets embed, you know, in news stories, we see them embedded into stories. We have news segments about so-and-so said on Twitter and Donald Trump and, and yada yada and all of that. If Twitter just becomes kind of another Reddit, this is inevitably a good thing. If journalists and journalism stop depending on Twitter so much, where it kind of becomes just its own form kind of thing where ideas are shared, some that you like, some that you don't like, and it stops being the, the overemphasized focus that people in journalism and our media in particular have, I think that that's a good thing for a media ecosystem. Uh, the problem here is Musk has basically confiscated their favorite toy. And what's interesting to me is that none of us know what he's actually going to do with this platform. He hasn't said what he's going to do. He's suggested things. He said, we're going to, you know, it would be good if DMs were encrypted. Um, but he has actually hasn't put in any policies. He hasn't changed anything. They haven't done anything. All he has said is he's a firm believer in free speech. And it's telling that the people tasked with the brave uh, firefighting of protecting the First Amendment all lost their minds. And so... This has been one of the more telling episodes. I saw someone say the last time Twitter was like this was election night 2016. And I don't know if I would agree with that. Um, I will say Twitter has missed a central focus figure for going on a couple of years now. Uh, for prior to 2015, Donald Trump was just kind of a, a funny dude on Twitter. He tweeted about Diet Coke and Robert Pattinson and, you know, Obama's birth certificate and all the stupid sh all of this kind of stupid, crazy shit. And then, of course, when he ran for president, he became the central focus of Twitter. Like it was every day on Twitter revolved around Donald Trump. And that was partly by design. And it was also partly done as a focus of our media. They wanted to elevate him and show him off. And since he has been banned and since the country has decided to kind of move on from him, Twitter has lacked a a figure like that where it one person drives the entire conversation of the entire website. And it looks to me like that's happening with Elon Musk. Every day that you get up, everyone in media is talking about it, or at least people that I follow in media, politics, culture, etc. They are all talked about Elon Musk. He is also keeping himself as that focus with his tweets. Um, he's someone who has not ceased tweeting. He's not see he's he's putting ideas out. He's responding to things, as we saw with the New York Post story. 
And I think that the New York Post story was kind of a reckoning that they haven't faced yet. And I think Musk knows this. And as you, as Musk said to Sagar and Genty uh, two days ago, he said it was wildly inappropriate for Twitter to block a news story. Uh, this was taken as bullying by other journalists. This was taken as shade thrown at corporate executives, whatever. But I didn't see a single journalist defend that statement on its merits. And that should be troubling to uh, all of you. It should, it's troubling to me that, again, the mask is completely off these people. Some of you might like that. Um, so what the future brings, I don't know. Uh, Musk is not a conservative. He's not a guy on the right. But I sure as shit know he's not one of them. And for now, at least, uh, that's something that kind of satisfies me. So I've kind of just set up the topic here. Um, I want to hear uh, your reactions. If you're not on Twitter, then by all means, I want to hear from your point of view as well. Is this something that just doesn't affect you? Is it something like, hey, I might get an account now or I might not? Um, so I want to hear your takes. I want, I want to hear what your favorite reactions have been. Um, from people either threatening to leave. Our good buddy, uh, Talcum X, Sean King, has been having a fun meltdown. And as I wrote in my bio, all the worst people on Twitter, all the worst protected people, people like Sean King, who doxxed a person and then that person committed suicide and, this, and it was a wrongful accusation. Uh, people like Brianna Wu, people like uh, Arnita Sakizian, some of the absolute just worst people in media are are... Uh, suddenly their kind of duvet has been thrown off their bed. Um, we also saw Elizabeth Spires, who is a co-founder of Gawker, lamenting about uh, the harassment that's going to come. <laughs> she wrote in the New York Times, uh, and, and if you're with Gawker, you don't get the high ground on any of this. So like I said, all, all of Twitter's worst actors are losing their proverbial shit over this and what's happened, and it really does feel like they have their favorite toy taken away. And like I said, I don't know what that does for politics, if it's the political right or the left that benefits. I don't know. But I do know that Musk is not one of them. And for right now, uh, I, I'm willing to be satisfied with that. Uh, the last thing I'll go into is I mentioned on my podcast yesterday, people saw a jump in their Twitter followers, prominent accounts, especially on the right, Buck Sexton, Greg Gutfeld, a few others. Uh, I was mentioned in this group. And as I talked about on my podcast yesterday, I don't, I don't pay attention to shadow banning. I don't talk about it. I don't tweet about it, partly because I'm pretty sure it's happening, or at least I'm removed from search results, or they have throttled the account. Um, one of the reasons I don't do that is because I think it's tacky and I think it's whiny. Whenever someone goes, I'm being shadow banned, retweet if you see this, get the message out, go to my Patreon, whatever. Um, I just think that that's tacky and whiny, and I don't want Twitter to be aware that I'm aware. So I just, I keep tweeting, eh, whatever, here's here's my writing, here's some thoughts, Here, here's whatever. Um, what I will say to all of that is, according to Social Blade, my numbers have jumped astronomically. And what I mean by that is I mean by the thousands. And I'll just read a couple of these for you here. And I, I kind of noticed this going back to about August, the year of the 2020 election. August 2020, I noticed, like, my account just froze. And I kind of was just like, eh, whatever. If I'm being shadow banned, then that's what's going to happen. I, I don't, I don't want to give them the satisfaction of me complaining about it. But here's, here's what I'm going to read to you. I'll start with, uh, I'll go back to last Wednesday, uh, the 20th. 
According to Social Blade, uh, my followers went as follows. Uh, plus 500, I'm going to round. Uh, then Thursday, plus 297. Friday, plus 215. Saturday, plus 80. Sunday, plus 300. Monday, 175. Uh, as of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, here's what they are. Tuesday, plus 2,389. Wednesday, plus 4,245. Thursday, plus 2,783. Um, that could mean anything. I'll, I, I think it's interesting, if anything. I, I don't really follow my follower account. I don't really care about these things. But it is interesting. And people have asked me what they think that means or anything, and I, I don't know. Uh, it could be that they are they're changing the codes. So when Musk comes in and looks at it, so they can say, oh, no, we're not shadow banning anyone. What are you talking about? Um, but someone had a Twitter thread of this stuff where prominent accounts on the right in particular saw massive increases. So that's some food for thought. Uh, like I said, I, it's not something that uh, I, I lose sleep over or whatever like that. And like I said, I've just always believed in just tweeting through it. And if they want to do that stuff, that kind of shenanigans, it's their platform. They can do it. I can't do much about it. Um, but some fun numbers uh, for you guys to chew on. So like I said, give me your thoughts, give me your reactions. Last week, we kind of did an exercise where it was, you know, what would you like to see changed about Twitter? You can certainly throw in those ideas as well. Um, and like I said, we'll probably go until about, um, what is it, 7.15? Probably about 8.15. So about an hour. I'm just going to jump in. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Zach, uh, you're up first. And for those of you who are new to the uh, the app, you, you're free to just jump in. You should say, you know, join call or join list. Um, and if you have any problems or anything like that, uh, feel free to hit me in chat or something. I don't, I'm getting better at checking chat, so whatever. But Zach, uh, go ahead. The, uh, the, the stage is yours. Up, Stephen? Tell us what you think and what your reaction has been. Yeah, I mean, I, think, I would say that, uh, you know, personally I'm excited by it. But, you know, for me, I, I use Twitter uh, as kind of like the primary social and, and news function. You know, I'm not somebody that's tweeting all day long, but. I certainly probably doom scroll all day long, um, you know, and you can see pretty clear this got the left wing bias, but it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, I guess what I'm more curious about and maybe what your thoughts are on it is, you know, where are they, where are they going to take it? Because, you know, they're not going to stop at just crying about <laughs> uh, literally crying. I guess the, the head lawyer crying uh, to all of our employees at the, of Elon taking over. You know what is what is their end game with it, and and that's what I'm curious to, to find out in the coming months because I don't think this thing actually closes until October. You know, are they going to literally take Twitter off the App Store like they have other you know social media programs? So I'm I'm curious what's going to happen there. But no, I mean I'm I, I'm a Elon fan. I'm not like a fanboy by any means, but uh, you know I listened to several of his interviews on Rogan and and other other platforms and. You know, he's a pretty impressive guy. So the fact that he can even take this over while running other companies that are literally worth billions and in one case, Tesla trillion, it's it's a pretty impressive uh, feat that he was able to do this. And it's also kind of funny that <clears throat> they blocked Babylon B and, uh, you know, that basically kind of kind of triggered this whole thing and, and how quick it happened. So I, I, I genuinely think that there is something to that. People have asked if. Because Elon Musk sat down with the guys from Babylon B, he knows them, he's given them interviews. 
And I, I genuinely, I think there is, I don't know how much, but I'm willing to buy into it that there is something to the notion that when Twitter banned the Babylon Bee, Musk kind of perked up and went, well, what's going on here? And that could have been a, a driving motivation to go on and buy Twitter. Um, right. I, I kind of think that that's, I know people have talked about bringing Trump back or bringing Alex Jones or Miley Yiannopoulos or, or whomever. Um, I kind of think the only certainty is you probably will see the Babylon Bee get their account back. And that might be all. Yeah. Well, I mean, they should, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just been, it just is what it is, I guess. You know, if you're somebody on the right and, you know, you kind of know that you don't, you have to have everybody kind of against you. So it's interesting to kind of get a quote unquote win. But, you know, again, like you said, the guy's not necessarily conservative. I think he's probably just more on the libertarian aspect of it. And like, you know, like he said, it's, he's just interested in free speech. So go for it. But uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just kind of wait and see and not going to get too excited either way. And, I think, like you said on on one of your episodes, it's like, eh, you know, if this really affects your day, you should probably just log off and go outside. So, it's uh, yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting that Twitter employees. I, I guess if I was an employee at Twitter, if I was an engineer, if I was a coder, or if I worked with product or something like that, I find it interesting that the culture around there. It, might, it reminded me of Brendan Ike with Firefox, and for those of you who don't remember. Uh, Brendan Ike was hired by Mozilla to come in and run Mozilla. He's basically the guy who invented JavaScript, and he's a genius as far as this stuff is concerned. And they found out he made some political donation to what they call an anti-gay bill or cause in California. Employees threatened to walk out, and they basically fired him. They, he, he was not able to take to go work at the company. He left quietly, and that kind of was one of these first instances where this all happened. And I guess if I'm at Twitter and even if I'm a political guy, I'm probably more curious than I am sitting here throwing my shit against the wall that, you know, you know, red these can't be shadow banned anymore, or that he's going to come in and just change everything that we've done. Well, guys, what you have been doing hasn't been working and it's pretty obvious to people, but if someone like Musk, who's run SpaceX, Tesla, um, and these companies, which are, you know, the forefront tech technological companies, it kind of surpassed Apple as far as, you know, the, I mean, he's, the tech he's, company we're all looking at. And I guess I would be like, yeah, I want to hear this guy's ideas. This guy He's literally the greatest entrepreneur, like in terms of market cap, like of our lifetime, if not of any lifetime of all. Yeah, time. I thought it so. was funny that uh, he uh, somebody said that I, th I think it was some tech journalist who said that he has no idea what he's doing. He has no idea how hard this is going to be. It's going to be caught. And then two days later, a SpaceX rocket landed on a platform <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. And you just go, okay, guys. Um, but thanks, Zach. Do you have any other, yeah, any other things closing, following up? I'm good. Thanks, thanks Zach. Uh, I'll care. just jump right out, right into Matt. Is he? There he is. Matt, how are you? Give me, give me your give me your thoughts that are somehow different from when we did this last week. <laughs> um, I mean, Musk's career started at PayPal, so he's not like he's not like a not an internet guy. He's not just a car guy. Um, so he kind of knows what he's doing when it comes to commerce. I mean, my my the whole thing is like I don't necessarily think that the liberals care so much that like they're now going to have to deal with some tweets that are offensive to them. I actually think it's more because they had a direct pipeline into Twitter 
and there's a lot of nefarious communications that have happened over the last five years. And subsequently what's going to happen is all that information, not all of it, but some of it will get leaked and people are shitting their pants. And it's not because there's an actual threat to the democracy. It's because they were either contacting Twitter directly or through DMs and telling them what to say or do. And Twitter was doing it. Yeah, I, 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 I think you've heard me say this. I want to know what happened with the New York Post story. More than anything, I want to see the channels of communication that led to that. Um, because, as I've always suspected, and the journalist reaction in the last week has, for at least my part, convinced me um, that that story was shut down at the behest of journalists who got in touch with Twitter executives, Jack Dorsey, um, Bajaya and uh, Garad and a few uh, a few others. I think that they were responsible for shutting that story down. I don't think that that's a decision Twitter just makes on its own. I don't think that they're that savvy with media. Maybe, but uh, that is the one that I would like to see. I think you're probably right along some of those things. Musk is going to come in and kind of put some sunlight on what's been going on behind the doors. Um, but I think a lot of us already kind of know that when when, you know, Twitter, when Jack Dorsey is BFS with D. Ray McKesson, who, you know, was one of the single largest antagonizers of the Black Lives Matter riots from five, six, seven years ago, um, we kind of know what's going on behind the doors there. I don't I'm not really interested in that stuff. I'm, you know, when Anita Sarkeesian is put on the safety board and she's one of the most dishonest, melodramatic harpies on the entire website, you kind of know what's going on. But Musk, or but but uh, but Miller, what's the nail in the coffin coffin for the legacy media? They're already they're already not trusted. They're already losing subscribers, and their ratings are down. If you talk about TV, the nail in the coffin is whoever at CNN was you know doing X, Y, and Z and communicating with Twitter, and they even lose more trust. And maybe that that puts it over the top for one of these big networks and or newspapers so maybe that's the output or outcome of when this information leaks maybe but i don't, I don't think it's going to be where you know we find out that the washington post was you know back channeling with twitter executives to to suppress stories about joe biden or hillary clinton or or eon omar or aoc or anything like that i mean possibly but even if that happened we saw that already we saw that with journalist where ezra klein had a private mess, you know, a private forum board that got infiltrated. It led to the resignation of Dave Weigel from the Washington Post, and they all just moved on, and Dave got his job back. They Can I these are not people who care. So even if it came out tomorrow, like Glenn Kessler was back channeling with Twitter on on fact checks or whatever, they would just they would just shrug and move on. These are people with the least introspection about their industry possible. A good example: look at what happened to CNN Plus. CNN Plus is is around for twenty three days. And it's a chance for some of these people to go, you know, you know, not, you know, I'm not talking about like Stelter, you know, saying maybe, maybe the shitbirds have a point or anything like that. But these are people who could look internally and go, hey, maybe, maybe, we, maybe they're right. Maybe we're not being watched because there's something fundamentally wrong with what we're doing. And they didn't. Brian Stelter's first show was, hey, we never really had a chance because this could have been successful. And he goes, you know, people just didn't get, you know, get to know it or anything like that. It's like, no, people don't want it. OK, you have you have people, you know, you have more fucking pe- less fewer people signing up for your uh, international streaming service than I, you know, and I have double that followers on Twitter. And so you're talking about people who have the least sense of self-awareness. So 
what's the nail in the coffin for them? Well, nothing. I mean, the Washington Post will go on, CNN will go on, New York Times will go on. Um, but at least, you know, I want, like I said, I want to know specifically who made the decisions with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And contrary to, to people like Jonah Goldberg, this is not about because Trump lost the election. That's not what this is. This is about the fundamental ability for big tech to now put their thumb on the scale of elections. And with assistance of corporate journalists who think that it's okay to do that kind of thing. It doesn't matter who, to me, who wins or won, won or lost the election because of that. This was the coordinated suppression of an accurate news story. And if, if the journalists are not interested in finding that out, as we've seen, they've gone on to defend this corporate executive at Twitter who made $17 million last year. Like she's a victim. She was on the Joe Rogan show with Tim Poole. And so they they're taking her side already on this and they're not interested in finding out just how exactly that happened. Can can I just recommend or one idea I have for a product enhancement? Sure. Rec- throw all of your ideas out. Give me the Homer Simpson car. I just, uh, the Homer Simpson car. If you have a Twitter account, you have to have a Twitter account or you have to sign up when you buy a Tesla. And if you get suspended, your Tesla also suspended for the length of uh, your Twitter suspension. So you can't start it. Uh, they, 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 Elon Musk just needs to make like a Twitter car, not even, not even like a test. Just make, just make a Twitter car. I don't even know what that would be like. I don't know if you honk the horn, you hear the Krasenstein's voice or something. <laughs> Joe, how are you? Uh, give me your, give me your best takes that you saw in your, in your initial reaction. Hey, Stephen. So, um, the best takes actually came today, in my opinion. When he posted that photo, when Musk posted that photo of that graphic of the various years, and he right. basically, uh, you know, positioned himself as me, and then it was the political center conservatives, and like as uh, you go down the graphic, it just shows that he's basically stayed in the same place. The political center has moved to the left, and then the basically the left has just moved to the extreme left. The reason it was my favorite thing is because out of everything that he's posted so far, this to me has been the most revealing. It's been the most revealing because the absolute worst people just immediately jumped on it. You know, Ben Collins jumped on it and was just like, well, actually, followed up by, you know, Kevin Cruz, everyone's favorite non-historian, and all the other, you know, leftist blue check data nerd dweebs just had to pollute your timeline with about 20 various maps and graphics as to how well actually this isn't the case as far as the left going left um just like i knew as soon as he posted it that this was going to create an absolute inferno and it did not disappoint um and and i think one reason why I've been so thoroughly enjoying this timeline ever since he took over is because it's basically the scene in Batman Begins when Bruce Wayne shows up to the hotel with the two girls and the two girls uh, go into the pool in the hotel. And then the manager comes over to Bruce Wayne and is like, sir, the hotel is or the pool is for display only. And then Bruce Wayne just turns around to him and says, yeah, well, I'm buying the hotel and we're going to repurpose the pool. That's basically been him buying Twitter and everything that's happened ever since. So, yeah, that's my that's my two thoughts. 
Yeah, I, I like I like a good Batman Begins analogy. I think that that's right. Um, they they see him kind of enjoying himself, and that's driving them crazy because they're not enjoying themselves anymore. Um, what do you think about you're, you're you seem to me kind of like as an internet culture guy? What do you think about the idea that if Twitter just kind of became like Reddit, it stopped being the central focus of our media culture as far as what you know drives journalists and what drives media culture? Um, the the de-emphasization de of Twitter as a pl platform where it becomes similar to what Reddit is, to where it's just, it's not the heartbeat of, of the news anymore. What do you think about that idea, if, if that's what Twitter becomes? Do you think that that's good? Do you think that that's bad? Is that something you would want to see? Well, I'm of two minds of it, because do, would I like to see it? Yes and no. Would I like to see it? Yes, in that I think people would realize that it's not, in fact, the center of the universe. Would I not like to see it? No, because the left and the Democrats continually, you know, get all their talking points from Twitter and then, um, you know, repurpose them back out into the general population and find that it's very, uh, very unpopular. So I don't want them to discover that. So I'm kind of conflicted, honestly, cynically. <laughs> uh, just as we are doing this. Uh, Stephen Dennis from Bloomberg is reporting that Senators Markey and Blumenthal are calling on Elon Musk to testify before Congress about his plans to overhaul Twitter. The Commerce Chair is saying that she's thinking about calling hearings for this, and this is something I said that was going to happen. Um, I guess that, you know, Seth Mandel, a Washington Examiner, has a good tweet on it. So American political leaders are as fearful of the information space as our counterparts in countries without constitutional protections over speech, and they consistently prove the wisdom of such protections. Um, I've also suggested, and I saw this floating around, that Biden's DOJ and SEC might step in and halt this deal. And this is kind of what, I, you know, as I've said, this administration in particular is run by Twitter. They, you know, if defund the police gets 20,000 likes, that's suddenly going to be a Democratic talking point. Um, but it, this is crazy to watch for me that, they're they're all basically going to try to stop this deal. They're going to call Elon Musk to testify. I don't know what the rules are, but I mean, Elon Musk is not an American citizen. I, I guess good luck giving him a subpoena. Um, so that just came down. I was just sent this. Someone just sent this to me as we were doing this. So again, all all of the right people are completely flipping out about this. I guess. So if you want to comment on that, or if you have anything else, Joe. Yeah, I was just going to end with uh, this one thought. I mean, um, Musk, I think, is um, kind of set, being set up perfectly to be the new, um, the new boogeyman in place of Trump, because obviously whatever Trump said when he was president on Twitter would inform a news cycle ad nauseum. With Musk now, I mean, he, twosts, he, or he posts a, city, a silly little graphic. And that just drives, you know, blue check um, interaction with him and, uh, you know, a butterfly effect here of having, um, you know, Senators Wyden, Blumenthal and all of them want to drag him before Congress to basically explain himself. Um, you know, he, he's basically it, it, it's funny how he has also taken up Trump's mantle as just basically a shit poster. It's, it's hilarious to me that the guy who spent. 44, you know, billion dollars to buy this is now just basically, at least so far, when he's not posting, um, you know, some platitudes uh, about free speech, it's just shit posting. 
And I just find that absolutely hilarious. I mean, it's making Twitter more than anything. It's just making Twitter from the top down just kind of funny again. Um, and, uh, you know, realizing that without Trump, honestly, without Trump on Twitter, who needs him back when you have Elon Musk and Greg Kelly? I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. It's they've been itching to kind of look for a new central character ever since they got Trump kicked off. And it's it's one of the, you know, the paradoxes of our media, which is they all wanted Trump gone from Twitter. And then Trump got, you know, sent, you know, got sent packing off Twitter and they all still talk about him like they miss him so much. And as I said, kind of in my intro where um, they Twitter has lacked that that main character for a while. Um, that that's just a guy who just sucks all the oxygen up to to him to where uh, apparently if you have a blue check and you're part of the 4chan hit squad for NBC, you just can't look away. You're you know, it's, you know, like the bird box meme where, you know, you must look at Elon Musk or whatever like that. And there also, there also is, to me, an uncomfortable level of simping for him on the right right now. I mean, I get it. Uh, people are excited. You're probably on shadow banned. You might get your account back. Um, so, so that's all exciting and stuff like that. But, guys, you don't know what he's going to do to this platform. You have no idea. And he's probably going to do stuff that uh, is, is going to make people on the right upset there, too. Um, I hope there's no fucking edit button myself. So, but, yeah, I would agree with that. It, it feels like there is a central character now with Twitter. And, and again, it's the media who is making him that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, so, uh, Joe, I appreciate that. Do you have anything else or I'm going to jump to Faye? Oh, no, that was it. Appreciate it. Cool. Good to hear from you. Faye, you're up. Give me, uh, give me your, your, your reactions. Are you on Twitter? If so, are you going to continue to use it? Um, do you, what do you think, uh, the future looks like for all of that stuff? If you're not on it, are you going to think about joining it or what, what have you? Give me, give me some, uh, give me some original thoughts here. Oh, good evening, Stephen. I hope you're feeling better. Uh, I am um, mostly. I don't I'm, know if my I'm, thoughts are original. I'm still fighting it. I still have that little uh, bit of a nasally thing and, uh, I'm here hitting the mute button for a cough. So hopefully you don't hear that, but thank you. I hope you feel better soon. Um, so I have just as a little background been on Twitter since 2011, but I've not been active in the sense that I was on sort of blocked my account was just following other people really until 2020, I think when the infamous or famous Habibi bros um, started their podcast and I started interacting with them. So I mentioned this because I've really seen Twitter evolve a lot during that time. And, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember 2011 Twitter before the blue checks came, no offense, it was completely different. I mean, it was like the country more normal, but there wasn't this kind of censorship that we know is happening. I know you don't like to talk about it on Twitter for professional reasons, but and you can't compare. It was night and day. People interacted with each other. You know, there was some unpleasantness, but whatever. Then people just blocked or ignored. Um, and really the only reason why I was on lockdown for so many years is I think I've mentioned this before. I worked for the federal government and at one point, unfortunately, a regulation published from my shop that was so unpopular that I got death threats to my home, my personal address. And so that just kind of made me very paranoid. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't, you probably know this government wise, we don't create the policies. Those come from the White House. We just sort of do the legwork. Um, but because of that, I was just very, not paranoid, but very cautious. Um, so my, my point is that, you know, even seeing all of this and seeing up close my shop and my agency, we work with the White House, with the legislative and congressional affairs. 
So I know that the two priorities they have from this White House, there are two. The first is um, anything to do with equity, especially transgender issues. The second is what they call misinformation control. That is all they care about. I mean, the world could be burning and in many ways it is. And that's all that their focus is on because so much of what goes on in practice is pushed by the people who are on like these policy councils, the domestic policy council, the economic council. And these are like these sort of young, mostly ideologues. Um, But even knowing all of that, I was kind of shocked to see some of the reactions from Twitter employees, especially hearing, you know, parts of that call uh, that was leaked, hearing about like this 48-year-old attorney who's making millions of dollars a year crying at a meeting. And it kind of made me realize something which I think I hadn't fully before. Um, I knew that the censorship was going on because you can't be on Twitter even, you know, I'm basically nobody on Twitter. I think I have like 700 followers. Um, but you see it, you know, like I said, I've seen the evolution since 2011. I knew the censorship was there. Um, I knew that it was being coordinated to some extent because frankly, without getting into names, it would get me in trouble. I've been in meetings where I've heard people from the White House reference that they're going to call someone over at Twitter you know, I don't know how often that happens, but certainly there is communication um, where Twitter is being guided with and from the media, certainly from the federal level. Um, but hearing that reaction, it made me realize that Twitter has become, in terms of censorship, it's not that just the, the censorship or whatever you want to call it was a feature. For a lot of the people certainly working there and using it, it was the purpose of their being there. Like Twitter, Twitter was no longer a platform where censorship was something that was happening. I think at some point, Twitter became the vehicle to drive the censorship, just which I'm using as a catch-all term, um, which really just sort of blew my mind when you hear about, you know, all these workers who, if they just kept their heads down and did a decent job, they would keep their jobs, probably, you know, good paying jobs that give them a lot of flexibility. But these people are in literal panic and literal tears over the idea that they might not be able to, you know, sort of force the narrative to a certain extent. And so I don't know that, first of all, just took me aback. And I it just a lot of thoughts that I've had. Um, I'm a first generation American. My mother came here as a refugee from communism as a teenager. And so things like freedom of speech are a big deal to me. And I know that we say, you know, Twitter isn't real life, which is true to the extent that, you know, the minority of the population are on Twitter. Um, But when you see how many people who are in positions of power are using Twitter as the vehicle to censor, and I think they've been successful to an extent in society, even in the world outside of Twitter, um, it's very scary. And so even though I've never been a fan of Musk for a variety of reasons, I think if he's successful in helping to bring back, I don't want, I'm more conservative, but I don't want something that's like a conservative vehicle. I want it the way it was, you know, where people could just interact. Um, But I'm afraid because now that I've seen like to so many people, especially people in positions of power, what it means to them, like they're not giving that up. I don't think contrary to what some people say that, you know, he's going to back away from the sale without going into details that would get me in trouble. I know someone very well who works in Morgan Stanley, the the amount of money and time that they've gone in to work on this deal, even for someone like Musk, this isn't like a game to him. You know, he's, he's committed even aside from the billion dollar, you know, sort of clause there. Um, but I think two things happen. So let's say he goes ahead with it. I think the media and the government, perhaps to the extent they can, are going to make a concerted effort to, 
decentralize Twitter, which I would be fine with it not being like the center of everything, but being an open platform for people to share in the way that it was. But I think they're going to push for something else to take that place. Like the censorship has become so important. They're not giving that up. So that's just my two cents. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot there. A, a few a few points I would kind of agree with. I think you're right that censorship became part of the reason to work at Twitter, at least to at least control it, or at least to keep the platform, you know, skewed left and not so much even political left. I think it's just to their causes, to things like Black Lives Matter, to things like you know, uh, defund the police, and in all of those far kind of hippie kind of Silicon Valley ideas that these people get. Um, so, I mean, I would agree with that, because, especially in the last two to three years. It's just, it's been horrendous. It's, um, no, nobody hates their product more than the people who work at Twitter. And they may, they continuously make it difficult to use their product. And kind of like what Faye's saying is, yeah, 2011, 2012, 2013, it was a, a basic platform. It, and they kind of let... Jack Dorsey in particular, I think, kind of let journalists at, you know, at outdated places like newspapers and cable networks start to dictate the direction of his company. And that's how now you get the sidebar with, you know, news that skews completely far off the left side as a publisher where they're publishing like news content themselves, as opposed to letting the, the, the content speak for itself. Um, so I would agree with that. The other thing that's interesting about the employee freak out to me is it's it's like Twitter is no longer your liberal arts college campus to kind of quote South Park. Um, Twitter is now run by reality. And we saw that we saw this attitude over the last few years of, you know, the college kids and, you know, needing safe spaces. And this is all cliche shit, but this is what happened. You know, they needed safe spaces. They had, you know, uh, minority students only kind of gatherings and things like that. And then we saw on the university of Missouri, M Melissa click, you know, can we get some muscle over here to get rid of a photographer? And we all kind of scoffed at that and just was like, man, look at these fucking babies. Like what, what is wrong with you? And we all kind of said, you know, yeah, but they're, they're, they're going to get into the real world and they're going to try to pull this shit and they're going to get knocked on their ass. And that's not what happened. It turns out that they went to the, these companies and these companies adhered to them, and now everyone in your company has to sit through a fucking Robin D'Angelo seminar on on why they're a bad person and why they're a racist. Um, so I thought that that was interesting, and I think that that's also what part of this is, is that while Twitter's not even like one of the most popular social media platforms right now, it is probably the most recognizable. Um, again, it, the way it permeates through culture and and things like that. But as Musk notes, like celebrities don't even really use it anymore. The people who made Twitter don't really even use it anymore. He noted that Taylor Swift hasn't tweeted in three months and, and her silence on this whole thing is deafening. I can't believe she hasn't spoken up. Um, and so it really is kind of to me that they got their favorite toy taken away. It's not the most popular toy, um, but it is one of their favorite toys. And it's what's going to be interesting is in the coming weeks and months is kind of the sabotage that happens is are people going to start, like you said, leaking communications? Are they going to kind of go rogue? I saw something where Twitter actually locked down. Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but they basically locked employees down to, to prevent them from accessing certain yeah, parts of the I platform. 
when Musk took over. So they couldn't sabotage or, you know, shut the site down for whatever. And if you're that scared of your employees, you probably need to get new employees. I'm not going to go so far as Ben Shapiro to say fire everybody. um, But you probably need more employees if if you're that scared of like a mutiny. So go ahead and wrap up. Give me, I appreciate your thoughts on that. It's some good insight. Uh, But go ahead and give me a final thing and then I'll, I'll move on to Paul. Yeah, just two quick thoughts. One is that, um, again, because I'm aware of some of the details, that that is actually part of the deal that they had to agree to lock down any major changes um, from now until the sale is final. So that that is by design. Um, and I guess, you know, in terms of what Ben Shapiro said, I, I think firing maybe an entire company, not reasonable. But again, I will say from the perspective of someone who was in the federal government when Trump was elected, I'm using that as an analogy, not because I'm necessarily a Trump fan, but he was on so many levels just completely screwed over because these agencies were filled with people who could not be fired and were working against him. That's the truth. Um, Not everybody, but a large majority of these employees tend to be very liberal and very like excited about the idea of, you know, orange man bad. So I think there is something to the idea that if he wants to keep the platform, Musk and be able to not be, sort of stymied by his employees, there's going to have to be at least, you know, in the the top levels. Um, and even in some of the rank and file, there's going to have to be a big sweep. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe. The other thing, the other thing that you mentioned that I think is right is that I don't see calls from the political right to, you know, kick people from the left off Twitter or anything like that. I think what the political right wants is transparency. We want to know why these policies uh, disproportionately affect certain things. And I'm not talking about kind of, you know, the worst, like I said, white supremacist style, stuff like that. I'm talking about how just just to this week, Stephen Gutowski had, you could not link to his newsletter about firearms when he's been on national news and broken national news stories. Uh, Charles Cook had the same problem. The Federalist had a problem with this where, you would click on a link, you click on the Federalist and it would take you to a, uh, let me see it, see if I have this in front of me, uh, because I was talking with people kind of uh, behind the scenes with this. Uh, bear with me here one second. I'm just looking for it. But you basically, if you try to click on, yeah, here it is. So if you tried to click on, like, for instance, the Federalist, and this happened with every link, you got a message that said, warning, this link may be unsafe. The link you are trying to access has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially spammy or unsafe. <laughs> In accordance with Twitter's URL policy, this link could fall into any of the below categories, malicious links that could steal personal information, spammy links that mislead people or disrupt their experience, violent or misleading content that could lead to real world harm or certain categories of content that if posted directed on Twitter or violation of Twitter rules. Um, I'm not the most enthusiastic reader of the Federalist, but this happened on all of their things and it happened to Steve Mantowski. And then they switched it when people noticed, like when people spoke up and went, what is this? Oh, shit. Oh, that's a mistake. And this is what I think people who are engaged in this debate want. I, I want transparency. I want to know, why, you know, Mother Jones never gets hit with that thing. And of course, you'll hear from them and you hear from Parker Malloy and you'll hear from people on Media Matters. Well, that's because you're fucking lying. Well, no, it's not. And we all know that. Um, so, yeah, some good thoughts. Thank you for that, Faye. I'm going to go ahead and jump on to Paul. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see anyone from the from the from the right 
wanting to kick people off from the left. I've never seen that. Um, we question, we question why like Donald Trump is, you know, kicked off the website while the Ayatollah Khomeini can threaten nuclear war against Israel. And that's kind of where I'm at is if they're going to kick Donald Trump off, fine. But you have Chinese state accounts. You have the, the, the Mullah of Iran is on Twitter. And so I guess where I stand on this is I don't really care if people like Alex Jones or Donald Trump come back to Twitter. I really don't. Um, if Trump runs again, I don't know how you don't allow him on the platform. Just strictly as a, as a candidate for office. Um, I don't know how you can get away with letting not ha letting him have an account that is at least a campaign style account. And God knows he'll use it for whatever he wants. Uh, the other thing is it doesn't look like Trump wants to come back to Twitter. So he has true social. And another fun little game that happened yesterday is Elon Musk was taking some friendly jabs at true social. He said, you know, it should have been it should have been named Trumpet. And he was doing this thing. And then all of a sudden, according to Philip Bump from the fucking Washington Post, again, is the rivalry between Twitter and truth. And it's just like, you fucking clowns. There's no rivalry here. Elon Musk tweets a couple of funny things about Trumpet and truth and Trump. And all of a sudden, you have these guys now just trying to drive a wedge here. And they know exactly what they're doing. And it's completely dishonest. Uh, Paul, go ahead and jump in uh, with your thoughts on some of this stuff. Uh, are you a Twitter user? Um, what do you think is going to happen with it? And uh, what are some of your favorite reactions that you've seen? Hey there, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. All right, great. Um, I am a Twitter user. Um, I probably, no, I scroll through you and a select few other group of people, um, like Charlie Cook, um, but he doesn't post that often, so <laughs> I don't have to go there too frequently. Um, I know that you say that Elon's not a uh, conservative and, you know, that may be true. Uh, I think that probably in the past he wasn't, but for a guy who's, you know, playing around with firing off space rockets in Florida and moving his business to Texas, I think that he probably had a similar experience that I did. Um, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, the cesspool that is Chicago of progressive politics and he's been running his companies out of California for a while. And I wonder how much that has had to play in his political developments. Um, and I was kind of wondering about your thoughts about Twitter and the chances that they move the operation down to Texas. Uh, it's possible uh, depending on where he would go. And that would be interesting to see what, you know, employees would go with them and, and which wouldn't. Um, I think I saw someone else, <coughs> excuse me, I missed the edit button. Uh, I think I saw someone else suggest that as well, that he would, he would move Twitter's operations down to somewhere in Texas. I, I, you, you know, everyone throws out cities like Austin and stuff like that, but I don't think that that's necessarily where he would go. But I do, that's an interesting thought that he kind of just had an awakening after, you know, leaving California where he's getting taxed up the ass um, and he kind of just maybe drifted or shifted over to the right. I think that that's certainly possible. Um, whether or not he, you know, moves the entire operation to Texas, I think is, is down the road, but I'm, I'm sure it's certainly something that's crossed his mind. 
Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that really turns your iron into steel the way being exposed to, like, radical progressive policies um, truly does and then experiencing something other than that. Um, And so, you know, I don't know about his opinions on a lot of particular issues, but um, I just have the sense that, you know, I mean he's certainly a capitalist. There's no doubt about that. And that's absolutely verboten in the current democratic party, even in the middle of the party, I would say not even the progressive wing. Um, and he's, you know, at least, you know, he's, he's a free speech advocate. And as far as the ACLU goes, that's also verboten. So, you know, whether or not he's a conservative, I don't know, but he, if he's not, He's uh, one of a few handful of people who maintain, you know, credibility as classical conservative type or classical liberal types and, you know, not people who have migrated exceedingly to the left. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I mean, what's interesting to me about the the kind of the visceral reaction to somebody like Elon Musk from the political left is, I mean, this is a guy who's making the most desirable electric technology moving forward. And I made this joke on Twitter, which is uh, Elon Musk could end up saving the planet with, you know, know, getting rid of fossil fuels and developing private space flights and and things like that. But oops, he's Hitler. So what are you guys going to do? You know, and you see, you know, like the political left's going to sit here and just go, I guess we're just going to take the, you know, the death of the planet instead. Um, it is, it is a fun paradox. There is a lot to this that is, like I said, revealing, especially as it comes down to corporate media people. Um, Paul, one last thing. Who do you want your Packers to take tonight? Oh gosh. I don't know. I, I I'm, lo- I'm looking at your avatar picture. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I, you know, have had mixed feelings about the whole Aaron Rodgers situation last uh, draft period. Um, You know, they signed with an extension. I'm happy with that. That's fine with me. But honestly, I could care less who he wants, particularly. I really don't care about keeping him happy. I want to have a good football team. I want to have a good football team for 10 years. If they take a defensive lineman instead of a wide receiver, I could care less. Um, I actually, I'm probably in the minority, but I trust their general manager over whoever Aaron Rodgers wants to bring in. So that's where I'm at. Well, and also God knows what Aaron Rodgers is like ingesting right now to make draft time decisions. So <laughs> exactly. They're probably like asking him in the room, Aaron, who do you want? I want the purple saber tooth tiger. Um, <laughs> You know, like whatever. So I, I have a feeling your Packers are going to take the guy that I want my Broncos to take tomorrow, and that's Trey McBride, who the, the tight end. So that's uh, it, it's really weird as, as a Broncos fan right now. I, I have zero interest in the draft this year. I'm just like, meh. It's like the first year in, in years, I just don't care. Um, but uh, I, I really want my I want my Broncos to take Trey McBride out of Colorado State. But I think your Packers are probably going to jump up there and nab him. So you'd be getting your you'd be getting yourselves a good tight end at least. That's a good compromise. Yeah, I'll so. take it. Yeah, cool. All Thanks, right. Paul. Thanks for your thoughts. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Uh, as I'm chewing on a uh, cough drop, I'll try to keep that sound to a minimum, as I'm sure that's not pleasant. Eric, same sure. kind of questions. Um, give me your thoughts on what. 
you think about Elon Musk, the reactions from media people, uh, are you on Twitter? Are you going to use it more now? Like how, how will this, does any of this change your calculus with, uh, social media platforms going forward? What do you think? Give me some thoughts. Yeah. So, um, with regards to Elon Musk and sort of, uh, hesitant to sort of put him in the hero of the right, you know, sphere because, you know, what's the line I think it was from Buckley, like never, <laughs> never meet your heroes because they'll always disappoint you. Um, and in just regards to Twitter, um, I just, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see what a sort of non moderated sort of like trending, like sort of, I guess what I forget what you call it, Steve, but like the, whatever the area where you can see what's trending to see the, the trending stuff. topics. Yeah, the trending topics. Yeah, not just what Twitter wants you to think is trending. Yeah, so that that'll be that'll be pretty interesting. Um, just because, like, it's sort of like a catch twenty two from the standpoint that, like, you could, you can't really trust what's trending, but also, you can't really trust what is like sort of in your feed because we all have a sort of a self selection bias. We can't just follow all of Twitter all at once. So that was like always like one of those real things. Like, obviously, we you know, Twitter's not real life, but like that was one of the things that uh, I was sort of thinking about. Um, uh, but like some of my fear is, is that I, I think that the media conglomerates might look at this and say, look, we need to still um, control the control the narrative. And, um, yeah, and so they might like, start their own sort of sort of Twitter and just try to create that sort of echo ecosystem again. So that way they can sort of like, you know, here's like 10 people that said X, Y, and Z about, you know, uh, Disney or whatever company they're trying to bully. So that's what, uh, one of the fears that I'm sort of looking at, at sort of like the, the media is not just going to go quietly into the night and not have create like a substitute tool to sort of sort of astroturf their narratives yeah i think it could be interesting um we all we already saw from the new york times a couple of weeks ago where uh dean beckway basically said to his employees you don't have to be on twitter it was kind of a door opening for them to not be on twitter anymore to kind of get away from it get away from that style of reporting and gossiping and you know putting thoughts out that you know you could dunk on the new york times over or you know confirmations of things that we all know that they talk about um and that's kind of what i meant about you know journalists aren't on reddit you know like people blue celebrities and journals and people like that and people public figures they're not on reddit it's just it's kind of you know a place for for you to go to look up any topic and they're just random screen names of people you don't you don't even know and it's some of like the funniest and kind of enlightening parts of the internet and like i said i i, I look at it and say that that's the worst thing to happen to twitter if all of the blue checks just you know jumped off the platform in an attempt to also devalue it. it's like well if we're not on it what good is it going to be i think the majority of users would probably be like bye see ya you know like okay have fun um, but I think if that's what happened to it, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And like I said, journalists would have to figure out some other way to get information to people or start to report. And that would have to be a complete revamping of their entire industry, which is honestly what it needs. Uh, Ian, you're up. A familiar face. 
give me some thoughts again on uh, what you think about kind of what we're talking about, Elon Musk and Twitter and um, what you possibly see going on and, and some of your other favorite reactions. Yeah, I wanted to actually be the first one to congratulate you and your Denver Broncos for getting Russell Wilson with your first overall pick. Oh, you weren't, you, yeah, right. Um, you you weren't the first, but yes, <laughs> we got we got the best quarterback in the draft this year at number nine. Yeah. So the my my thoughts are kind of torn because I feel like the reactions, both celebratory and uh, anguish. On, very, on the two sides seem to be overblown uh, because I don't expect there to be some sort of massive Wild West reversion back to where it was like back in 2010, 2011. But I also, I think it's basically what you said. We're just going to see Elon Musk give the Babylon Bee back the their account and it'll go back to what it was in 2019 or 2018 and not so much going back to like 2012 or 2013. But the uh, I'll agree with the person who said earlier that the reaction to the the 20 the person running left on the political spectrum uh, meme that he posted today was very revealing. As the immediate response was, "Well, actually, that's not true because here's some." bullshit metric that we came up with to show how the right wing has gotten so much worse because Trump uh, and it was just being spread like wildfire amongst the blue check journal journalists. Well, Miller's gone. So I guess this, uh, this is all me. I, I'm not sure who I should let on next, but uh, my uh, going on from that, the general thought I had was that uh, he he doesn't seem to have anything firmly announced yet, except that he wants free speech. And I think you've been one of the people just pointing out regularly, why is that something that's caused such a level of absolute terror amongst the the journalists and their favorite toy? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've even be I've been take sorry about it. I I lost a connection there, so I, I I missed some of what you said. But um, I've I for someone who you know hovers over these people on a daily basis, I've even been shocked at the amount just how the it's like industry wide with places like at the New York Times, Washington Post about how just terrified they are to for people to have unfettered style conversations. That's the big word we keep hearing, and. Uh, the the one question I said this on my podcast, and I said this to Kevin Ruse of the New York Times, who he blocked me for just simply saying this. This is the question you ask them every time, which is, he noted that you know Twitter could end up becoming eight chan, and that wouldn't be good. I disagree. Um, but uh, I said to him, how much speech do you think should be allowed online to a journalist? And he quickly blocked me for that. And I think that this is the key question. I think it's the only question that they should have to be forced to answer, which is when you see them pushing this stuff, well, content moderation and, you know, we need this. We saw Brian Seltzer complaining about, you know, if you're going to go to a party with no rules, I don't know what kind of shitty fucking parties he's going to. But, yeah, those are generally the best kinds of parties. But you just ask them. You ask these guys at any chance that you can, either in tweets at them or, you know, if there's media people in here or you sit down, you say, how much speech do you think should be allowed online? How much? 
and you're going to get them stumbling around because I've gotten blocked for asking that question and I haven't gotten an answer to it from anybody yet. Um, so I think that that's kind of the key is you're also talking about a group of people who believe that the Internet belongs to them. They're trying to apply outdated business models like, you know, newspapers and cable news to the Internet. And most of them aren't Internet users. My point is um, they, they didn't kind of come of age on forums and message boards and ain't it cool news and Reddit and 4chan and any of this stuff. Uh, guys like Ben Collins, he he walked into NBC News like I'm here and I want to write, and they went, okay, you're gonna you're gonna get the 4chan uh, beat, and he goes, what's 4chan? And he learns about it in six months, and all of a sudden he's an expert on disinformation. It's it's fucking hilarious. It never fails to me. These dweebs who uh, you know think they just they just found out about you know a coon uh, two years ago, and suddenly they're telling us how you know how expert they are on the internet. So, Ian, uh, go ahead and get, give me some wrap up thoughts, and then I'm going to jump over to Joseph. Yeah, I did. I had one last question for you. I saw someone suggesting that uh, actually it was Talcum X that brought it up, but the fact that Google and Apple both have policies against allowing hate speech for apps, and I, I'm curious if you think that the journalists will freak out enough to actually push Google and Apple to try and get Twitter dropped from the app stores. It's on their they, Yeah. They've already, I've already seen suggestions of that from kind of the journalist class. Um, that's certainly a route that they might go. They'll just kind of put the idea in, in Tim Apple's head, um, which is, Hey, you know, if Twitter, you know, if, if hate speech starts to, you know, get out of control, you guys can just drop it from the app store. Um, I don't know how wise that would be. And I don't know if Google would, would do that. Um, it would be interesting again, if, if that's, if that's the, if, if the, that's the way they, they went. Um, but I have, I've already seen that suggested in a couple of media circles. Bas- right. Basically Thanks, every Tyler. worst case scenario that you guys have thought of, I, I, I've already seen. So they're they're kind of, uh, you know, full on going, you know, figuring out ways to stop this and going all the way to Congress. We saw a writer for The New Yorker suggest that Congress get involved in this and and uh, protect Twitter or take it over and get involved to stop this from happening. So that's that's always exciting. And that's kind of what I mean about how journalists are the ones leading the charge on this. Um we got about six callers. I'm not going to take any more after that. We'll we'll go until we kind of get through this, but kind of uh, make your points quick and um, just note that there's other people behind you and that also my voice is running out. Joseph, how are you? Give me some thoughts. I'm doing great. Uh, I guess my, uh, my quick rapid fire thoughts is that like, I'm more or less like I'm uh, Elon Musk agnostic, but I like the guy. I like some of the stuff he posts on Twitter, and it's extremely funny, though I don't know enough about him to like make a solid concrete uh, decision to whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy, but I was pretty much on board for him to buy Twitter, and it was pretty much funny seeing the <laughs> the uh, nuclear takes and stuff, which I don't really have much of a favorite one. They're pretty much like standard, like, hor- like standard left-wing horseshit, especially the ones where they're like, um, they're like, he could have solved homelessness, but he decided to buy Twitter instead, which is like the dumbest talking point ever. And I quickly got sick of it within like the day two. But um, I'm pretty interested to see where it goes. I don't know if like 
there's going to be much drastic changes about it, but like I'm kind of curious to see like who he brings in to sort of aid him in kind of running this app. And so it'd be kind of interesting to see what changes will come of it. Um, for for warning, I have not I was not around the golden days of Twitter. I joined like 2015. It's I wasn't that I wasn't that much active on it anyway that much. So it's like it's kind of interesting to see what like Twitter in the past would be like. Uh, you you had to be there, Joseph. That's that's all I can say. There 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 was there was, there was a, a couple of years, few years there where, where it was kind of one big sandbox, and there's still rules. I mean, you could, you know, there were still people getting suspended here and there. Um, but um, yeah, I would say you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, it really was kind of uh, a one big political mosh pit. Um, and it really was kind of, you know, a place where, you you know, you held your own. But if you were interesting and you had, you know, interesting things to say, then generally people would catch on. And um, you didn't have to be kind of, you know, up here, blue check, and the rest of you have to listen. And that's generally the reason it became that is because of how Jack Dorsey managed it. Jack Dorsey became afraid of journalists. He became afraid of, you know, legacy media possibly devaluing his company. So he essentially turned it over to them. Um, and that's pretty much all that happened. He got so frightened over the accusations of disinformation and costing the 2016 election and all of this stuff that uh, he, he basically decided he was going to let CNN and Media Matters run his platform for him. Yeah, which is kind of funny also to see his like uh, balls grow since he's not in charge of the company anymore and he's like kind of begged on Elon Musk. Yeah, too, I mean, but, like, he's a fucking coward. <laughs> The fact he's doing that with yeah. nothing invested anymore. I'm not. I saw people on the right going, "Oh yeah, base Jack," and I'm like, "No, fuck this guy. He is he has risking nothing anymore by having these opinions." So yeah, I'm not impressed. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say that too because I was like, "Yeah, it's nice to see him finally get his fucking spine," but at the same time, like it still doesn't absolve him for like what happened to like New York Post. Nope, I would agree. Uh, anything else in your mind, Joseph? Real fast before I move on. Uh, no, that's about cool. It. Thanks, man. It's good to, good to hear from you, David. I'm going to kind of plow through uh, these last five guys here. So, David, uh, just as the topic of the thing, give me your thoughts on what you think about Elon Musk. Anything uh, with you know some of your favorite reactions or non-favorite reactions, even, or um, are you, do you plan to use the platform more, or are you not going to use it, or are you not even using it at all? Okay, I'm going to move on. I'm moving on to, uh, I don't have a name here. I just see like Xavier, baseball, basketball, and swords. So that's pretty cool. <clears throat> basketball, swords, and baseball. What are your thoughts on Elon Musk and Twitter? Oh, Steve. All right. you... Oops, uh, jump back up. Uh, sorry, I just moved on. Um, uh, go ahead and uh, jump back up. Basketball, swords, and baseball. And I'll take you last. Sorry about that. Steve, uh, go ahead. Hey, Stephen. Um, I've been following Elon and just like who he's been talking to the past few days. And I just found it interesting. Like, you know, he's replied to Ben Shapiro, Mike Thernovich, Crowder, Babylon B, Cyber. I'm curious for your reaction. Like, do you think that's helpful or hurtful or interesting? Um, kind of who he's choosing, choosing to respond to and not, I guess. Um. Yes and no. I'm not paying a ton of attention to it, roughly. I mean, if people are asking questions that are, you know, piquing his interest, um, 
that is not really, as people know, in my following, that's not really a Twitter crowd that I, that I run around with. Um, I, I have, I do have my problems with Mike Cernovich. Um, but I also think it depends on the questions being asked. And again, I, I don't, I also don't get the freak out. Like I, I saw that he replied to Cernovich on one and all of a sudden all the journals screen capped it and, and, you know, went ballistic over that. And I, I kind of just shrug and get on my, with my day. It's, <laughs> I don't, I don't look at it as like either the end or he's, he's going to turn, he's going to put Mike Cernovich in charge of product here. Okay. That that's not, I don't look at it that way. Um, I will say that something that, you know, Twitter has gotten away from is that kind of engagement with different types of people. And that can be on the right, that can be on the left, it can be anything. And that really is something that has also just happened in the last two to three years where um, either where people's kind of echo chamber in their own bubble has kind of solidified and gotten, you know, thicker and thicker and thicker to the point where other viewpoints are just completely frozen out. And so, no, I don't really have an opinion. I mean, Cernovich is a Twitter user with, I mean, I, I think he's over a million. Ben Shapiro obviously has millions of followers. So these are going to be high, high profile accounts that um, are going to have some engagement and in, in whether uh, what I think about that person is irrelevant. Um, it's the, the question is for journalists, I guess, is you're, you're panicking that somebody like Ben Shapiro or Mike Cernovich have all of these followers. Well, maybe you should stop and ask why that is. And as I've said, especially on the political right, people who gave up talking to an audience have very, very little sympathy for me. Uh, you don't get to, you don't get to, you know, treat an audience as a way of talking down to them and saying, I'm up here and this has been a problem in conservative media for years. And this is part of how Trump was able to just kind of latch on is um, and, and it's part of it's part of why I consciously run these call ins this way. I, I, I don't want to be up here upon high speaking down to people um, when you stop talking to people you don't get to complain about what fills the void for who they're going to go and listen to. And I think that that has a lot to do to explain kind of the, the growth with people like Cernovich or Jack Vosobiak or people like Miley Yiannopoulos on the right or whatever. Um, so I guess I would look at it and say, I, I would learn from why these, you know, someone like that or these accounts have this many followers. Um, it, it is part of it conspiratorial? Huh, maybe. Maybe they have thoughts that are just outside of the box and interesting. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I don't put a lot of emphasis on who he's talking to. No, and I don't put it on. I don't look at it and I go, that's concerning. And I also don't look at it and say, hey, that's great. Um, Elon is just a different cat. He thinks that, you know, that's who he is. He's he's going to rip a bong and he's probably going to go and, and tweet at some of the craziest people on Twitter. And I don't really have too much of an opinion on it. Gotcha. And then my one other quick question, one thing that's kind of crystallized to me listening over the past hour, you know, obviously, we you know, we talk about how Twitter and the kind of the journalist types wanting to exert like top down control. But also it also kind of dawned on me, it's like, where else would they go? And I mean, you've kind of alluded to this, to, alluded to this, but it's like, you know, it's not like they're going to go to Facebook. It's not like you know, Reddit, they get drowned out. YouTube, they don't really have, probably have the, the chops to hang there. So it's like, I wonder too, if like part of the freak out is like, they just, they can't conceive going anywhere else. They're, they're going to lose their, their voice and their, their status essentially. And it's like, can't go back on TV. So I wonder if it's I think kind that, of a back against the wall. Yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a lot to that. Um, 
where they looked at Twitter as their own personal cruise ship. And now it's, you know, been taken over. Um, I, I think that there is a lot, uh, there is a lot of that with a lot of these people. And a lot of these people have so much, like I said, overemphasis and overvalue on what Twitter is. Um, and, and don't, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not someone who graduated magna cum laude at a, at a, a leading university and I used my parents' money to land me a job at the Washington Post and or, you know, National Review or whatever. And that's where I think that I'm better. I, I'm someone who just started a Twitter account 10 years ago and used it, you know, politically and got active with it. And and all of a sudden here I am. So um, it, it it is kind of a place where you can elbow your way into the conversation and journalists have grown to fucking hate that. And the reason they've grown to hate that is because most people don't fucking like them. Why don't we like them? Because we've seen what their industry has become, which is a good example is just going after people, you know, accounts that they don't like lives of TikTok. We're going to dox you. We're going to dox you. If you make a funny video about Nancy Pelosi, we're going to dox you. If you have a Facebook group, we're going to accuse you of being a Russian spy that's mainly who these people have become and they're detestable and they deserve our scorn. And I, I think that there is a lot to that where these people I think are starting to see like, Oh shit, we might actually lose our power and influence now. And the other part of that is it's like I said, they, they have overvalued what Twitter is so much in their industry. Their industry kind of went from, using tweets and embedding tweets to almost being completely dependent on it as a platform. Um, we saw that obviously with Trump and uh, we see that still to this day, like Twitter is what drives their industry and now it's taken over by a guy that they don't like. And so, like I said, if, if it forces them to maybe rethink how they do things or how important they value Twitter, then maybe that's probably a good thing. Um, the people with the, the least self-reflection in any public life or journalist. So I, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't see where they're going to go. And I, but I, I do think there's a lot to that, to, to your thought on that. Go ahead and uh, give me a wrap up and finish up. Uh, well, I sent you a message on Patreon about it earlier, uh, kind of chastising you for it, but we'd love to hear your justification for Brooklyn barbecue one day. And that would be my, uh, my sign. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody has an opinion on it, but no one's actually tried it. So um, I don't know. I guess you guys can keep enjoying that dog food in Kansas City and in Texas and South Carolina, but everyone rags on Brooklyn Barbecue. But again, none of, no one tried it. It's just oh, Brooklyn, whatever. Well, no, we just we, we just took what you did and did it better. So I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't help you on that. Um, like I said to uh, my basketball dude, uh, the, whatever. If you're still here, feel free to jump back up. Um, I apologize for kind of hastily moving on there, but if you're still in here, jump back up. Yeah, but if not, if you're gone, then uh, we'll take Cody here last. Cody, send us off. Uh, make this a good one. Make this a good, valuable use of all of our time. <laughs> Where is he? Come on. There, you, there he is. Cody, oh, you're up. All right. Can you hear me? Um, I think probably what I'm most interested in is just kind of getting there because you see the reaction out of a lot of the Twitter employees that are, like in a frenzy, but I wouldn't be shocked to see, and I think you'll see it as it like dies down is there's probably a lot of people at Twitter who are a political, like most of the people on Twitter are, and they're probably actually pretty excited to work for a guy like Elon Musk being that he is like a visionary guy in tech. And they probably don't say anything now, but I think it'd be interesting to see how these people 
like go away. I think the people who are going to quit are probably would get fired anyway because they probably have fake jobs. So I think it'll be interesting in the next, uh, you know, few months after this gets all settled, if you could do like an internal poll of people and get their true thoughts, what they actually think. I would imagine there's probably a lot more than you would think that are actually excited for Elon Musk. And the reaction you see out of people is just like the reaction. There's a small group of people who freak out about everything, but it doesn't speak to the majority. I doubt. Also, I really yeah, just want yeah, to see Twitter yeah, be I mean, it again. Could, yeah, it could be interesting that, like, even inside of Twitter's headquarters, Twitter is not real life. <laughs> like, even in the workspace. And we've seen, you know, we've seen, obviously, we've seen, like, the letter... Um, we've seen letter from Google inside some of these tech companies where you do have a lot of these employees who don't speak up because, you know, they're, they're going to be ostracized. They're going to be treated like a leper if, you know, they do, if they do come up with this opinion. So uh, yeah, I think that that's another interesting aspect to this of, you know, you could, it, it would be funny if you had a very vocal minority inside of Twitter's building, just as you kind of do on the platform that, that would, that would be a fun twist. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that there's like, if you're a real, let's say you're a real software engineer, and you're really into your craft. Why wouldn't you want to work for a guy like Elon Musk? It doesn't make sense. Like, you're probably putting your head down and doing real work. And you're probably really excited. Like, oh, this guy probably has some good ideas. And we maybe we can do something with this platform. that's cool. And not have to worry about all these uh, weirdos freaking out every five minutes and threatening to quit or get someone fired or what what the case may be yeah i mean i I, and i think you're also going to see one of the one of the favorite tricks of our media is in the coming weeks and months you'll get one of these people at twitter who's either an engineer worked on product or product design who suddenly will start making the rounds at MSNBC and CNN. And then that person will become, you know, an outspoken critic and they'll, they'll get all the accolades that, you know, they'll apply basically all the same rules that they did with Trump to, to Elon Musk and Twitter, which is, you know, it'll take one, it'll take one of these young engineers to get the savvy to go, you know, I bet I could be on MSNBC. I could be on Maddow show. And then of course they'll be on reliable source. They'll be on CNN's morning show and they'll start making the rounds about you know the atmosphere inside of Twitter because we that that is how all of these things work. It's how Francis Haugen works with Facebook. Yeah, they that they just they find one person who is charismatic enough to that they can you know make up and, and you know turn into whomever they want. Um, but I, that's another thing that I wouldn't be surprised that we see again in the coming weeks. They're going to basically pull all of these political tricks out of the, out of the woodwork on Musk as we've already seen. They've already tried misogyny, bullying. Uh, disparaging the company and, and all of this stuff. But I think even with, you know, even more so beyond Donald Trump is they're going to run into someone who t- from all appearances just continues to just not give a fuck about any of that. So Cody, here's the final thoughts. Take us home and I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Just make Twitter fun again. I came across a, a page. I don't know how I didn't see it before, like crazy ass moments and, what is it create in American politics? I ran across that last night or two yeah, nights ago, and I had a great time just scrolling through and seeing all the crazy shit that's gone on forever. And you know, that's that's the fun part of Twitter that you want to see more of and less potatoes. 
Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with that. Even Musk tweeted, you know, let's make Twitter maximum fun. It's like I just <laughs> I just hear like Homer Simpson. I just hear Hank Scorpio's voice in my head when I when I see that. So uh, perfect. Thank you, Cody. Um, thanks everyone for joining. I, I took a couple of people out of the queue. I just wanted to wrap up. So, so uh, just um, just a program note. I'm probably going to do another one of these on Saturday because I missed last week. So I think what last week or two weeks ago, we did a, a Saturday a.m., late a.m. brunch one. Um, so that'll be an assholes only because those are the only people who eat brunch. Um, so I'll be back on here probably Saturday a.m. I don't really have a topic, so it may just be an open topic AMA uh, goof off session. So uh, keep, uh, keep your app open uh, for those notifications there. Uh, I will be back on Versus Media Podcast tomorrow over on Patreon. You can also, of course, get me on Twitter at Red Steez, and it does not appear that I will be going anywhere now. That's that's a joy. So uh, thanks again, everyone. Um, I, I kind of want to get off of the Elon Musk topic now. <laughs> Two shows in a row. Uh, but again, it is the most important. This is the most talked about thing in media right now. So, And uh, as I said, uh, it's been extremely revealing with corporate journalists who have basically become the face of online censorship. Uh, My favorite meme going around is so stupid and simple of uh, Neil Patrick Harris from Starship Troopers saying it's afraid. Um, That's kind of the only way to really sum all of this up. So, again, I'll be back here on Saturday. And I'll, uh, I'll have a podcast out tomorrow. And then I will also be doing uh, Kennedy on Fox Business on Tuesday night of next week. So be sure you guys tune into that. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller. This is Versus Media Live. Thanks, everyone, for uh, jumping on. And thanks to everyone who uh, shared their thoughts. And I always encourage you guys to do so. Don't always be afraid if you're a listener and you just want to jump up. Uh, like I said, uh, in the famous words of Andrew Breitbart, more voices, not less. Uh, see you guys Saturday. Cheers.